What is going on? How we doing? Man, good morning, everybody. Can we give it up one more time for the worship team? That knew that? That was, man. I love, I love doing worship here. It's just it's so different, so unique. I love it. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Carson. I'm the next generation pastor here. I get the privilege to hang out with your students every single week, but I get more of a privilege to lead the next generation. I get to oversee Kids Point, the college ministry, the point. I love doing it. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to do this ministry and lead this ministry here. So happy Halloween. Everybody feeling good? Everybody feeling good? I think some people got the, the, you know, got the memo to wear your masks. I'm wearing mine, so I hope you guys are, are enjoying it. I don't put this scary face on for a lot of people. Uh, we were sitting down with the staff, and, and Pastor Craig was looking at, you know, all the weeks of the year. And Sundays, you know, H Halloween doesn't always fall on a Sunday. So when it does, you kind of got to lean in a little bit, try something different. So he looked over at me and goes, well, Carson, what do you think about, you know, preaching on, on Halloween? And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to talk about this series. What, what do you got? Is it, a, is it a cool series, a cool moment, something? He goes, no, I hadn't thought that far ahead, but with the last name, like, Kruger, you got to enjoy it, right? And so, yeah, I just kind of lean in there and, and ask them, but no, it, it is a dealer's choice. So we're going to walk through something I've been studying for a couple of months. I, I've been reading through the book of First Kings, and it's, it's Old Testament, but it's got such good stuff for us going into the next part of this series. I think it's really cool how it kind of ties into this unhindered uh, lifestyle that we're going to be moving toward. Um, so to give everybody kind of caught up, we're going to do just a quick summary of First Kings. There's going to be a lot coming at you, but I promise you we're going to get right through it. So y'all ready to study a little bit today? Y'all ready to have some fun? Okay. So First Kings is a book that follows after all of the rise and fall of King David. So King David, really awesome king of Israel, did some really cool stuff, man after God's own heart, you know, wrote a lot of the Psalms. Good guy. He has died, and his son Solomon has taken up the throne over Israel. And Solomon starts off really good. He asks for wisdom from God. He is blessed financially. All of these things start to happen. He rebuilds the temple, and then he takes this moment, and, and things kind of take a change about the middle of, the, of his life. He starts to kind of compromise some of the things that he was told not to do. Hey, keep God first. Remember to look to God for wisdom. You, you can only be married to one person, right? Simple things, simple things that he kind of stepped over. And because he started this, it was a chain reaction that entered into compromising throughout the kingdom of Israel. Israel splits into two nations, the north and the south, and then you have all of these kings, and, and none of them are any good. Some are much worse, and some are okay, but none of them are good. And fear and desperation and corruption and all of these awful things flood into the kingdom of Israel. And it leads us to two of the worst king and queens of all time. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who, if you haven't heard those names, uh, Queen Jezebel, if you've heard the term Jezebel, is not a really affirming name you give somebody. You don't go up to somebody and go, man, you are such a Jezebel with, your, with a smile. You might be mean if you do that. So they, they are king and queen, and they have done the most horrible thing possible. They have brought in idol worship. They have brought in the belief that other gods are more important. They're better than God of Israel, God the Father, the same God who sent his son Jesus for us. And so God has had enough. He raises up a prophet by the name of Elijah. And, I, I, you know, there's no gangsters in the Bible, but Elijah was a gangster. Elijah was straight up, like, just not dealing with it, and, and he's going to throw it down. So God comes to him and says, hey, there's going to be a drought over all the land. You're going to preach and prophesy it's going to happen. So he says it, there's a drought. And then three and a half years later, 
he has to approach the king, Ahab, and talk to him about what goes on. And Ahab has the boldness to say, you're the problem on Israel. You're the reason we're in all this issues, all this strife. Has nothing to do with what my wife and I have done, all the compromises we've made, all the times we've turned our back on our people, all the time we've said yes to things that we probably shouldn't have said yes to. And so Elijah challenges him and the false prophets of Baal, the idol worship they brought in, to see who's a better God. So they meet on top of the mountain, they build these altars, and Elijah's a gangster, but he's also a gentleman. So he lets the false prophets go first. And he lets them go first, and there's 250 of them, and they're standing there, and they're crying out for, this, for Baal to come down and to light fire to this altar. And again, Elijah's a gangster because nothing's happening. And so Elijah starts taunting them. He starts saying, maybe you got to be a little louder. Maybe you're God's hard of hearing. In one translation, he actually says, your God might be relieving himself. You really got to yell out. And so finally, they can't do anything. They result to cutting themselves, these fall prophets, and they lay on the ground and they can't figure it out. And so then Elijah steps forward and he says, all right, let me show you how it's done. So he says, drench the altar of God of Israel. Drench it with water. And Elijah calls down fire and fire comes down and everybody is amazed that this is the true God. And so Elijah takes the sword and kills all of these false prophets and then ends the drought that has plagued the land. If I was Elijah, I would feel like I was on cloud nine. I was ready to go. But what we see in scripture is that it's not the response that I think Elijah or a lot of us are expecting. Especially when we're stepping up and trying to do the right thing, right? I think a lot of us are actually trying to move forward in life. We're trying to be kinder. We're trying to be nicer. We're trying to show the love of Christ to everybody, but we keep meeting people like Ahab and Jezebel. We keep meeting people who constantly want us to fail. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 9. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there and then he went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside him, was bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, drank, and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead of you will be too much. He got up and ate and drank and the food gave him strength enough to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and spent the night. I think a lot of us react the way that Elijah does when we are faced with a response we did not expect. Especially when we do the right thing. Especially when we're trying. We have, we have forgotten, and Craig, Pastor Craig said this, that we forget that old life we were. We were taking communion. We, we forget that who we were. We're stepping into what God has called us to be. But the world continually reminds us of you were once blank. 
And we, get, we, we seem to climb every, over every obstacle or we get over one hill or one impeding pathway and yet there's a mountain staring right in front of us. And maybe some of us, we, we are in that spirit of Ahab and Jezebel. Maybe we are the ones throwing roadblocks in front of other people. Maybe it's hard for us to really believe that you've changed. You did all these things. There's no way you've changed. So I'm going to remind you. I really want to show you kindness. What you said at the meeting on Monday morning. Ooh, I can't do that. A lot of us are facing Ahab's and Jezebel's. And I don't think we see it the same way because we're not making death threats with one another. Like we're not going up and saying, by the time tomorrow that, my, that I die, you may die for my God's hand. It's kind of like, you know, Princess Bride, my name is Inigo Montoya. You have killed my father. Prepare to die. Right? We don't say that anymore. Like, that's not the way we talk. And so what it is, though, is it's, t- it's constantly expecting people to be horrible and wishing that to be on them. Instead of trying, just believing that maybe there is some way to be good, nicer, kinder. Maybe you can stand for something. And even though troubles will come, I still have something that I'm firmly standing on. Your past only defines you if you allow Ahab and Jezebel to define it. It's not how God sees you. In fact, I have a friend of mine named Sarah, and when I met her, I met her when she was about 28 years old, and and we were getting to talking, and we were creating a friendship, and she started telling me about her life, and so she told me that before she was four years old, she had been raped by someone in her family. And, and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to process it. And she let that go on until she was about six, five, six years old. And she finally got the courage to tell a family member, right? There's that huge mountain in front of her. She stepped over it, doing what she needed to do to be safe. Fast forward to age 11, she's in an ATV accident and she gets into a coma that she stays in for two and a half years. After that, she wakes up miraculously from this coma. There's no damage in the brain. Unbelievable story. But because of how much it cost her family, both financially, time-wise, the medical expenses, they kick her out when she's 17 years old to fend for herself. She was trying. She she didn't do anything wrong. She was just trying to do the right thing, and yet all of the things that happened, nobody saw what she could be, what God was helping her become. They just saw who she was all the problems she caused. We're going to come back to Sarah's story, but I want to jump into the scripture. And so if you have notes, guys, take notes, note takers, history makers. And so we see this first part in Elijah. We see this in 1 Kings 1 through 4, that Elijah got the news that death was coming and he decides to run away. That's what he had to do. And a lot of us, we, we like to run. When we face really tough times, we start to run. It's kind of like a panic button goes off in our heads. I think of like the movie Inside Out for anyone that has kids, right? When anger gets mad, he just goes from zero to 100, right? There's no creeping scale for that. When we face problems, Ahab and Jezebel's real issues in life, we run. We run, and a lot of times we run back into the wrong direction, or we run back to the life we had because we think that at least was secure. I was miserable, but I didn't have to face any of this. And so we start to run away. And guys, what happens is we become extremely vulnerable to not only who we were, but we become extremely vulnerable to people that want to hurt us. 
We see this in nature. So lions are amazing hunters, and they love to hunt gazelles. The problem is, is that as gazelles move as a herd, they're impossible to take down altogether. But if they can separate one gazelle from the herd, it's a goner. How many times in our lives have we said, I got this, just me, all me, by myself and I, me and Jesus. And you've separated yourself from your small group, your family, your friends, your accountability partners, your mentors, and you are finding yourself more miserable, more alone, and maybe back in the same place you were. And believe it or not, it's gospel, 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. So here's what we got to do. When we start running away from our problems, we've got to stop running away from them and thinking it's a bad thing. Because if you are running away from your problems, that's not a bad thing if you are running towards God. Running is actually therapeutic. It helps clear your head. I think a lot of us, especially myself, I love to run. I don't look like I run, but I love to run. And I do because it helps clear my head. Elijah had some wheels. This man ran from where he was to Beersheba. That, that is 100 miles. This cat was like Usain Bolt before Usain Bolt, man. And so he starts running. And a lot of us start running because we just want to get away from the situation. And that's okay, but are you running to God? Or are you running into self-defeated, into being a self-defeated attitude? Are you running into an addiction? Are you running into a bad relationship? A lot of us are running marathons to avoid conflict and avoid the, the struggles in our lives. But we're not running to the one person that gives us everything to get through it. We say things like, if I just change my job, I'll be fine. I don't need to stand up for myself. This isn't a continuing thing that's happened everywhere I've gone. I can put a fake smile on for the holidays. I can do it. I know I can. I'll work on me. Just me, myself, and I forever. It took Michelangelo four, over four years to make the Sistine Chapel. You really think that you're not more beautiful? You really think you're not more precious? more amazing, more wonderfully made. There's only one of you in this entire world, and it's going to take a lifetime to see the fulfillment of God, but it takes one step in the right direction, in the right directions back to the Father. Y'all with me? You still good? All right. Running should give you a chance to rest and remember, right? A lot of times we start running, and we forget all the things that God has done, right? We're running in that race, and we just think about all the horrible things. We don't think about what he's carried us through. See, Elijah, you know, that drought happened for three and a half years, but yet God took care of Elijah up until he called him to go face Ahab and Jezebel. He sent birds to feed him. He had him stay with a widow and her son who barely had enough food to get them through a couple of days, but it lasted years. God has carried you through so many things it's time to start acknowledging that he is the same God then and he's the same God now. He's going to be with you through all of it. So stop thinking that he's going to leave you. And we need to learn how to rest. And this is tough, guys. Learning to rest is something that's not easy for us because we live in a culture and a society that says, you've got to grind, you've got to go. If you want to do anything in life and be successful, you've got to go, 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 go. But look at this. This is what happens when we get into a point when we don't learn how to rest. 
This is verses 5 through 9 in 1 Kings. He sat down on the solitary broom and he said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He laid down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. Get up and eat. Anybody get hangry? Anybody? I think Elijah was hangry. And I think he's hangry because let's just put this in perspective. Elijah was a man. He was no different than you or I. He prophesies a drought. He survives this drought. He defeats 250 prophets of Baal. He calls down fire onto a drenched altar. He then ends the drought that he prophesied, goes back and is expecting this hero's welcome, and he is faced with more issues and obstacles, and he takes it to the hills. He's done. I don't want to do anything. I can't handle this because the finances are, are coming up, and I've got to get another job. But if I get another job, I'm not going to be able to deal with my wife and my kids. If I don't do that, though, then we can't pay for sports camps, and we can't pay for summer trips, uh, and I, I'm just going to have to do this. I'm going to have. And we get into the same thing that Elijah does. We just spiral out of control. And we spiral because maybe we're not physically hungry. Maybe we're not thirsty. Our souls are hangry. God designed every person, prophet, pastor, speaker, human being, including his own son, to rest. So why can't we? Why can't we rest God wants you to rest. He wants you to stop thinking you're a superhero that can somehow do it all. You can't. Nobody can. And guess what? If you were a superhero, then there would be no reason for Jesus to give you the grace that you could never earn. He wants to give you that grace, and it's a gift of saying, guess what? You can try your hardest. You can do everything you want to do, but it doesn't matter because I'll take up the rest of the slack. You don't have to try to change the world. I'm going to do it anyway. Just step into the world and the life I have for you. We have the greatest insurance policy from the greatest insurer in the world, and we hate it because we can't be the ones that work all the time. You have the greatest policy ever. Just be kind. Love this world like I loved you and how I looked at you and saw beauty even in the worst moments. Trust in that and rest. I love the ministry team I get to serve on here at Glow Up for the Wednesday night student ministry because it's not just me. It is an entire team. And that team around me keeps me accountable. They look at me and say, hey, you look a little tired. Did you get some sleep last night? Uh, I, I stayed up a little bit late. Why'd you do that? Well, I just couldn't sleep. Oh, okay. You going to come into work tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to come into work tomorrow. How about you come in a couple hours late? Just sleep in a little bit. Well, there's so much to do. We'll get it done. Don't worry. I have amazing staff here that hold me accountable. We have Fridays off because that's our Sabbath, and, and that's our day to take rest because we need to take rest. All of us do. Because if God created the world in six days and said, I'm going to take a break in, on the seventh, and then instructed his son to be the Lord of that rest, Lord of the Sabbath, both Old Testament and New Testament brought together, then we need to be doing the same. We need to be allowing ourselves to shut down, turn off, and recharge. Because if you don't, and you refuse to rest, you will rot. There's a reason I don't have a garden. It's because most of the things will rot. 
And most of us will rot if we think we can do this thing called life without resting. Just like how a wonderful plant is groomed and pruned and watered, new soil. You need that. You need to find something that brings joy and rest to your soul. You need to surround yourself with people that will love you enough to say, hey, you're okay. Take a breath. Slow down. You don't have to do this all today. Y'all still with me? All right. So we get on this running, and as we keep running, we've got to remember what God has pulled us through, what God has done. We've got to stop, and we've got to rest. And like Elijah, Elijah actually was, he made this journey, and he went to a cave. And it's not in your notes, but I'm just going to give you a quick summary. Elijah didn't want to get out of that cave. He wanted to stay there. He was still terrified of going back and facing Jezebel, facing Ahab, facing that death threat. I think a lot of us are there. We remember what God has done. Oh, yeah, I'm never going back to that old life. And a lot of us, we, 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 we're resting, but we're doing this. And we're waiting. And we're going to keep waiting. Some of us have been resting in the same spot for years because we don't want to face what's outside of that cave. We know that there's moments where we don't believe that there's enough strength in us or anybody else to get us through it. You see this in the New Testament in John 5. There's this man sitting by the pool of Bethesda and it says this, from Galilee, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish feasts. Inside the city near the sheep gate, there is a pool called in Aramaic, the house of loving kindness. Surrounded by five covered porches, hundreds of sick people lying under the porches, the paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of whom were waiting for healing. For an angel of God periodically descended into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Among the many sick people lying there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that that man had been crippled for a long time. Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be well? The sick man answered, sir, there's no way I can get healed, for I have no one to lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up. He was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked home. I think a lot of us are still sitting there like that man. We've been sitting for two years, three years, 38, 45, two weeks. We remember what God has done for us. We're resting. And then what happens is when we rest for too long and we don't get back up and we don't keep moving forward in the life that God has promised you, the, the plan and the way God has promised you, you become so stagnant that it's become something of almost like a dream. And we use words like, I could never get back. If the world could just get back to the way it was before 2020, I'd be better. If I could just, it's, I try to get there, I try to crawl. 
I try to crawl to the, to, to the pool, but it's, it's all these policies that are put in front of me. They step over me. It's all the politicians. It's all social media. It, it's all my family. It's my friends. It, they're keeping me from getting well, and it's no. You're keeping yourself because we so badly, I think a lot of us, are sitting there by the pool because we want to go back to something. There was not more Jesus in 2020 than there is now. Jesus is standing beside you, whether you're in the darkest cave like Elijah or you are sitting by the pool and you are looking at everybody else crawling to the waters. There is a hand stretched down and he's saying, do you want to walk? Do you want to face these things? Do you want to change your life? Do you want to have a different purpose? All you have to do is reach out and grab my hand. Stop running away and start running to the Father. Stop choosing, and let's be honest, guys, it's a choice. Stop choosing to forget where God has brought you. He has brought you from every awful thing, and he's never going to leave you. He will leave everything else to run after you, to pursue you, because he sees my son, my daughter, you are more beautiful, you are more precious. You are made not with a spirit of fear, but a spirit of courageousness, and I do not leave those that I love. Jesus has never made a person he, never that he didn't love, and he's never made a story he couldn't use. He wants you to rest because he has a plan for you. The journey in front of you is great, Elijah, but I need you to eat. I need you to drink. I need you to rest. I need you to surround yourself with people that will hold you up, not tear you down, because you're going to have to face these Ahabs and Jezebels. You're going to have to face your past. Sometimes you have to face the things you can't even imagine. But God's going to be with you. God spoke to Elijah in the cave, and he, he told him, that, and he reaffirmed him that, I'm not done with you. I need you to go back. He gave Elijah the rest he needed. And he went, back to, he went out of that cave and back to the city. And he stood strong on what God had for him. Was it terrifying? I can only imagine. But he stood strong. I heard this story from my friend Sarah of her life, and I was beyond blown away. I was crying, I was boohooing, I could not believe what she was going through. And, and I asked her, I'm like, how in the world did you, how did you not give up? I mean, honestly, just a piece of that story is enough for me to give up. So why did you give up? And she quoted me this verse in John 5. She said, a lot of the times, and for about 10 years, until I was about 26, 27, I thought I was the man at that pool, and the only way I was going to become healed, the only way everything was, if I was able to go back and restart or the only way it was going to happen was if, if the angel miraculously picked me up and did it for me. And she said, but what it was was it just accepting that nobody defines me except my Father in heaven. And he will pull me up every single time. But I have to be willing to stand. I heard that story. I couldn't believe it because she's married. She's got kids. She's got a career. She's got way more than I would have even have thought. 
And she has it because she trusted in a grace and a love of a father. He loves us so, so much. There is nothing like a father's love for you. And so I have a question for you. Where are you? Are you facing Jezebel and Ahab right now? Are you afraid to go back into the city? Are you yourself embodying the same critical, angry, dramatic gossip behavior that, Je that Jezebel and Ahab had? Are you running? What are you running to? Are you running back to who you were? Are you running back to the world? Are you running back to a culture that will eventually change and tell you you're not enough? Or are you running to a father who says, I made you enough and I will always make you enough? Do you need to remember? Do you need to go back and look at old pictures Scroll back through memories on Facebook and Instagram and iCloud and see, I was once this. Thank God I'm here. Are you resting? Is your soul hangry, crying out? Like right now, thinking about where you're going to go to lunch? Or are you like the crippled man that's sitting by the pool of Bethesda waiting? Waiting for something to get back to normal and then I'll, I'll get there. Waiting for the world to pick me up and carry me into the water. The world will never pick you up, but Jesus has overcome this world again and again and will always be there to say, stand and let's do this. And the last thing is, is what are you gonna do? The most beautiful part about our relationship with Jesus Christ is that he loves us through everything. And then he says, the choice is on you. I'm gonna be with you through every single step of the way and the choice is yours. I love you. And oh, my love for you will never fail. Can I pray with you guys? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us that you love us through ways that we cannot describe nor imagine. Father, you consistently show up through the wind and the rain, through the warmth of the sun. You show us an overwhelming love. God, there's so many of us, we are running this rat race of life and we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know what the next step is. A lot of us are like Elijah. We are facing mountains right now and we don't know how to go over, around, or below. God, bring them comfort and rest. A lot of us, we've been sitting by the pool of Bethesda for far too long. We've accepted what the life in the world has done to us and we're just gonna be reclusive until it's time for us to go home. If that's you and you're sitting by that pool and you're, you're wanting to get up, you don't want to stand there and sit there anymore. You, you don't want to have to crawl to salvation. You just want to embrace it. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I don't want to ask you guys to come forward. I just want you to raise your hand because I want to pray over you because this, this is the next step 
Let go of the world. Let go of what it's told you you are and believe wholeheartedly in a father who is reaching out and saying, stand up. This is not your home anymore. Your home is somewhere greater. Your home is somewhere better. So if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. That's you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Count three, one, two, three. Awesome, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Father, I pray for these nine people. I pray that right now you tell them to stand up, to get up, to not feel afraid of the things they're about to walk into, that they have a father and a loving protector who will be around them, who will shield them from the world, Father, that even in the moments where they can't see the light, you are there. And they never have to worry about where their home is. On this life, we will still have struggles. In this time, we will still have ups and downs. But Father, we stand firm on a foundation that we are protected by an amazing and wonderful Father. God, thank you for this. And I ask that you give them that strength right now to stand up, pick up their mat, and keep moving. Thank you, Father, for the purpose and the plans you have for us. In your Son's name, amen. Thank you guys for hanging out with me this morning. If you guys need prayer for anything at all, there are people down front by the crosses that would love to pray with and for you. And if you want to send in a prayer, you can scan that QR code and we will have one of the pastoral terror team reach out to you guys. If you guys will stand with me, we'll have the benediction and we will jet on out of here. Y'all happy you came this morning? All right, feeling good, feeling good. All right. Heavenly Father, we just ask now that the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts, that, Lord, they be acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. And love you guys. Have a great week.